Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. All right. We are now in the book of Joel, chapter 2. Red Bibles, 780. And we will be going through this, the end of the chapter this morning. Joel, we know, is writing about the day of the Lord here. And we're going to continue in this. In my Bible, in the Bibles you're looking at, it says, Rescue and Restitution starting in verse 18, and it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and took pity upon his people. So the Lord answered and said to his people, Here, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will never again make you a disgrace among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and I will banish him to a day to a dry and desolate land. Those in front to the eastern sea and those in back to the western sea. And his stink will rise and his stench will rise for he has done great things. Joel is talking to them about his jealousy for the land. He says, Judah, Judah could know that when God's people sincerely repent, he notices from heaven. His zeal and pity are then turned for his people. When we repent, When we turn to God, God knows this. God hears this. God recognizes this. And he turns his heart toward us. He turns his pity toward his people. That's you and I. This wasn't just for the Old Testament prophets to preach. This is for us today. If we repent, if we turn, if we do what God wants us to do, we will He will hear from heaven and he will help us. 2 Chronicles 7, if we turn to him, he will heal our land. He talks about in the next verse, he says, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. I remove far from you the northern army. God is promising here to restore material property to the repentant Judah and to defeat the mighty army from the north. Now this isn't their fight. This is God's fight. God will do what God will do. This is his fight. 
kind of makes you think about the things in your life that you're going through. Remember, it is not your fight. It is God's. God is the one fighting for us if we're repentant. He is against us if we're not. But he is, re he is fighting for us. He desires us if we're repentant. <clears throat> he, re he promises to defeat the mighty army from the north because the mighty army has done monstrous things. God would turn the attention of his judgment away from his people and now against this mighty army. Remember last week we talked about there, God had a mighty army that he was sending to them as judgment. And they were going to come against Judah because they were not repentant, because they were in sin. But if they repent, God will get rid of this army. He will minister and change things in their lives. 21 through 27. The word says, Do not be afraid. Land and exult and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, beasts of the field, because the wild pastures flourish, because the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the wine yield their abundance. And children, of, and children of Zion exult and rejoice in the Lord your God because he has given to you the early rain of vindication. He showers down rains for you, the early rain and the latter rain as before. Then the threshing floor will be filled with grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I will co compensate you for the years the locusts have eaten, the larval locusts, the hopper locusts, and the fledging locusts, the gr my great army which I sent against you. You will eat abundantly and be satisfied, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. And my people will never again be shamed. Then I will, then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other, and my people will never again be shamed. God's promise of restoration. If you're repentant, God will restore. We see that in Jonah's case, or Job's case, excuse me. Job's case. Job was repentant. Job was, was, turn, was turning to God. He, he sought God after everything was gone. He lost everything. Everything was affected. His land, his livestock, his family, himself. And he did not turn his heart away from God. And God restored him to more than he had before. This is the promise of God for the children of Israel. 
The scripture says, Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Joel looked forward to the restoration that God promised, and he told Judah to look forward in faith and to praise God for the restoration he promised, even before they saw it with their own eyes. It's faith. That's faith. Today we have this thing where we have to see things before we believe them. Judah, as well as it's going to us, God is saying, have faith and believe even before. What does the scripture say? It says, blessed are those who have believed and yet have yet not seen. Why? Because that is important, that faith is ingrained in us to believe before we see. It is very important. The open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. With the eye of faith, Judah could already see it happen. Joel could already see it happening. Joel had faith. He could see God doing what he's told him he's going to do. All around Joel, there were lush, fruitful pastures and trees that God had restored after the, the destruction of the locusts. Could you imagine seeing that in, in Joel's mind's eye? How it would just sweep and God would just restore as it swept. As God swept through the land, he restored everything. Could you just imagine just as fast as they had taken all of the land and all of the sustenance from the land, God was going to restore it in the same manner. That quick. And Joel could see it with his eye of faith. Do we have faith like that? Do we have faith as of like children? I pray that we do. He goes on, he says, He has given you the former rain faithfully and the latter rain in the first month. That's the faithfulness of God. He's given them the rain. He's given them abundance. At the, at the end of the first chapter of this book, the prophet saw the destruction drought, drought brought. Now with the eye of faith, he sees God restoring both the former and the latter rain to Israel. So everything is going to be right. Everything is going to be correct and put back to the way it was. Ancient Israel had no irrigation system and, and relied on rain to water their crops. In a time of drought, nothing grew. God promised to restore both the former rain falling in autumn and the latter rain falling in spring. When God restores these rains, Judah will have full threshing floors and wine vats. Around here, we don't have that too much or drought too much, but when we either have here, we have no rain or too much rain. It's either no rain or nine inches. Or, you know, it's spring and summer. There's flood warnings right now, and, and actually in Watsika, there's flood warnings. Too much rain. The children of Israel would have wanted that kind of rain because they were in drought. They didn't have any. 
And today we, and ourselves in our county today, have too much. But this had to do with their faith in God, with the repentance of their sin. God was going to restore them. This passage, along with others, were, were taken to give the name of the Latter Rain Movement, starting in 1948 by William Branham. Branham influenced a generation of Pentecostal preachers, including the young protege named Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts uh, University. Oral Roberts was a protege of William Branham. Marked by strange and Abhorrent doctrine and practices, the movement eventually faded from prominence, and Brenham himself died in a traffic collision with a drunk driver in 1965. He died on Christmas Eve, and his faithful followers believed that he would rise from the dead, so they delayed his burial for several days. But the influence of the Latter Rain movement lived on. The Latter Rain pop popularized many attitudes and doctrines popular in revival movements today. The fivefold ministry, the restoration of apostles and prophets. Do we believe that there is apostles and prophets today? No, because they are not there. That was something that was fulfilled in the scriptures. Another thing was the foundational truths of Habakkuk, of Hebrews 6, 1 through 12. An emphasis on signs and wonders and marks of true revival. A strong emphasis on unity. These are things that are good, right? Foundational truths. We need to have foundational truths in our lives. We need to understand why we believe what we believe. Not just because it's what we believe. We have to understand why, foundationally, why we believe what we believe. There was an emphasis on signs and wonders to mark true revival. There was a revival going on in, in Tennessee, or Kentucky, excuse me, in the last couple of weeks. I've heard mixed things. Is it, was it true? Was it, was, it, was it not true? Was it of the flesh? Was it of the spirit? There are marks in Scripture of true revival. The Bible says we're to test these things. A strong emphasis on unity. We have to be unified as individual, as a group and as the body of Christ. Disunity does not do anything except cause issues. Disunity causes despair. I've been in congregations where there's been disunity and it's not fun, it's not good. And this is, goes beyond the normal, you know, family stuff. This is like disunity over things that are trivial. We must have an emphasis on unity. That's why we have potluck dinners. That's why we have Good Friday services on Good Friday. That's why we have these things, to build our relationships and make it unified. I'm a firm believer of unity in the church. And it needs to be there. Amen. 
Replacement theology. This is not a good one. Replacing Israel with the church. Israel is still God's chosen people, folks. I'm sorry to say, but so are we. We are grafted in with Israel by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we are not replacing Israel. We're not replacing Israel. We are important to God. But we are also grafted in. Dominion theology, or as we call it, called it in seminary, kingdom now theology, which basically says that the church will conquer and rule the world. We will at the last days, but not in not right now. There's a lot of people that believe that every form of government, every form of leadership needs to be housed by a born-again believer in Christ. That would be great if that were the case. But that's not the case. And if we believe it, it's kingdom now theology. We're not to look to this world for our salvation, we're to look to Jesus Christ. It also brought about an, an, an elitist attitude promoting the idea of a group of super Christians. You ever been in a group like that? I have. You're not one of us, so you don't belong type of mentality. That's what happens when you have, a, when you have an attitude of elitist attitude. You don't, you don't belong. You've never been here before. You're not one of us. We're all the same. We're all equal in the eyes of Christ. We all deserve respect. We all deserve Christ's love. We all deserve to be treated as human beings. Many researchers and many within these modern groups today believe that many modern revival movements are really just a con continuation of the latter rain movement. Once again, let's look at what the scripture says about revival. Revival starts here, right? If you look at revivals, revivals start within, let's just give an example. Within this church, we have a revival. Revival should be, number one, Sparked by the preaching of the word. Number two, there should be true signs and wonders. God truly moving. Not emotions running. Of course, emotions will run. But God truly moving. And it is supposed to go from here and it is supposed to spring out of the church and go forth to other communities. Not going, not communities coming here to take what they can get and then go out to bring it back to their whatever, their communities or their churches, but it starts with us. We are the start of the revival. Me individually, you individually. What God is doing in your heart individually is the start of the revival. But it has to be, we have to be, as individuals, open and willing to share what God is doing. We have to be compelled to share as God leads, and that's what sparks revival. That's what sparks revival. It isn't about people coming in, it's about us going out. 
How did the early church, first century church, how did they turn the world upside down? Because they went out. They went out the day of Pentecost. They had their revival. Peter preached a sermon. There was many, many nations represented in that, in that attendance in the, in the courts that day. Not in the upper room, but out in the outer courts where Peter preached. God had that in, in for a reason. They went to their prospective places of what they heard, and they turned the world upside down. Movements such as Joel's army, the manifest sons of God, and dominion movement, uh, the, the Kansas City prophets, the Tor Toronto blessing, the Pensacola revival are connected in some way to the latter rain movement. For example, Paul Cain, later to reemerge as the head of the Kansas City prophets in 1989, traveled with William Branham and called him the greatest prophet that ever lived. Imagine that. A man. Forget about these guys. Just forget about them. He was the greatest prophet to ever live. What about Joel? What about Daniel? What about Ezekiel? Weren't they great? We're talking about self here. Self-exaltation. The greatest proper prophet to ever live is the one that's needed right now. And right now, we are looking at these prophets that to change the world, turn the world upside down. Were they not great? Absolutely, they were great. But to say one person is better than the others is wrong. God said, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God promised to restore. It was taken away, was taken away in chastisement. And we can have that too. That promise is for us individually. We walk away from God, we turn our back on God, and there's judgment that comes when we turn our back to God, turn our face to God, turn our back away from sin, God promises restoration. God promises restoration through Jesus Christ, and he restores us to a place that is where we are supposed to be. When the locusts did their work, it looked completely complete and final, but God promised he could, God promised that he could even restore the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God promised he could Restore those. So all the things that we do as individuals and we think, well, I wasted all this time. I wasted years of my life for whatever reason, for whatever ex experience. I've wasted years. God can restore those things. Maybe not make you younger. That'd be great if he could, right? Just make us younger. But he can restore relationships as though they were never disrupted. God could give you things that you can't even dream of if we turn to him. The swarming, the swarms of locusts, what they have eaten, think about that as yourselves as individuals, ourselves as individuals. What is our sin taken from us? 
What is our turned away lives taken from us? It's taken our joy. It's taken our peace. It's taken our contentment. Sin tends to do that. But when we turn to God, he will restore our joy. He will restore our faith. He will restore our contentment. He will restore those things. So this letter to the church, to the, to the Judean country, to Judah, is a story that's relevant for today to us as individuals. Do we love God? Do we recognize within ourselves the things that we have done that we need to turn back to God? You might say, well, you know, I've been doing okay. I've not done anything. But speaking as a human being, I believe we've all thought thoughts that we shouldn't have said things that we shouldn't have, done things that we shouldn't have, went places we shouldn't have. And have we thought about that? Have we, have we repented of that? Those are questions we have to ask ourselves and questions we ask our, myself. I ask myself every day. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, it will strike you at once that the locusts did not eat the years, the locusts ate the fruits of the years, labor and harvest, of the harvest of the fields, so that the meaning of the restoration of the years must be the restoration of those fruits and to those harvests which the locusts consumed. You cannot have back, back, you cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you, which you mourned. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. For an example, estranged parents and their children, years not speaking to one another because of whatever reason. You turn to God, God hears, God turns that relationship to where it should be and God gives you back those blessings not the years that you've lost but the blessings a loving family a loving loving children loving whatever family members God can give that back God doesn't give back our time I'm 49 years old. Some of, us are, some of us are older. Wayne, I think up here right now, well, you're the youngest one up here right now. I'm 49 years old. Jim, you're 41. And Brenda's 39. But understand all the things that we've done in our lives that we regret. Maybe it's loss of relationship of some sort. If we look to God and we say, God, I own my responsibility in this and I repent of it, God can restore that. God can restore those blessings. 
Some parents might say, well, the person that I have ish, had issue with or I, I didn't, I took for granted or whatever, it's now gone. What do I do now? God can give you peace that he has heard you. God can give you joy of his presence and give you restoration in your life. Finishing up the chapter, 28 to the end of the chapter, it says, And it will be that afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The old, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions, even on the men, men servants and maidservants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, then I will work wonders in your heavens and on in the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord comes. And it will be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For the mount, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be a be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled in Acts chapter two. But look at that. Just as God, just as the locusts had taken everything and everything was affected by the judgment, God's restoration is going to include everyone. Your sons and daughters will, dream, will prophesy. Why would daughters prophesy? They were property then. They didn't have authority. They didn't have anything. But God says they will. They're important. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So we got women, we've got men, young men, old men. We've got men servants. Even your men servants will and maid servants in those days. So servants. Servants. So everyone. There is no class. There is no prestige versus common. It's all going to be, they're all going to be affected. It's an all-consuming restoration, just as it was, just as it was an all-consuming judgment. It's all-consuming. And we as individuals love to hear that. It's all-consuming. When it comes to God, that peace can be all-consuming. That joy can be all-consuming. After the restoration, Joel spoke of previously in the, in, in the chapter, there will come a time of ultimate restoration and blessing. The latter time will be marked by an outpouring of God's Spirit on all flesh. Not only selected men at, at selected times for selected, selected duties. So not selections of times, but one specific time. The Old Testament has a rich record of the work of the Spirit. But he was not poured out on all flesh under the Old Covenant. Instead, certain men were filled with the Spirit at certain times 
and only on certain duties. It was rather selective. And we go, we're, I'm going to go through some things here that I found. Joseph was filled with the Spirit of God in Genesis 41. The craftsmen who built the tabernacle were filled with the Spirit in Exodus 31. Joshua was filled with the Spirit of God in Numbers 27. The judge Othniel was filled with the Spirit of God in Judges 3. The judge Gideon was filled with the Spirit in Judges 6. The judge Jephthah was filled with the Spirit in Judges 11. Samson was filled with the Spirit in Judges 13, 14, and 15. Saul was filled with the Spirit in 1 Samuel 10. David was filled with the Spirit in 1 Samuel 16. Certain men for certain duties at certain times. He is saying here, it's going to be on all flesh. Men servant, maid servant, man, woman, child, young men, old men, everyone, complete and utter restoration, just as judgment was complete and utter judgment. Here Joel looked forward to the glorious new covenant when the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. Why? Even your sons and daughters, your old men, your young men, will be filled with the Spirit of God. This, is, this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the disciples gathered in the upper room waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come in Acts 1, 4, and 5. When the outpouring of the Spirit came, the 120 followers of Jesus were all filled with the Spirit and began to praise God with other tongues. Think about that for a moment. When that started... The Bible says in the book of Acts, there was above 500. Above 500. So over 500. So over 380 didn't stay. We don't hear anything about those 380 or over 380. We hear about the 120 that stayed. Jerusalem was crowded at that time because the Feast of Pentecost. So a crowd quickly gathered because of the, of the commotion. Those who heard the, 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 the disciples praise God in these miraculous languages began to mock them, claiming they were drunk. Of course, we know the story. Peter comes down and stood boldly before them and set the record straight. The disciples were not drunk at all, but this was a fulfillment of Joel's great prophecy of the outpouring of the Spirit. Remember, Peter said, they're not drunk, it's only the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. How could they be drunk that early? So Paul set them straight, Peter set them straight, excuse me. At first, any Jew would scoff at the idea of 120 followers of a crucified man being filled with the Holy Spirit. Based on their understanding of the Old Testament, they would think these 120 people are not kings and prophets or priests. God only pours out His Spirit on special people for special duties. These are common folk, and God doesn't pour out His Spirit on them. Joel laid it out. Common folk. We're going to see God move. Common folk. 
we're going to be experiencing this. Not just special people for special times, but God was going to do everything for everyone. This was going to be poured out on all people. Peter uses this prophecy of Joel to show them that things are different now, just as God said they would be. Now the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all who believe and receive, even the common folk. Now God offered a new covenant relationship, and part of the new covenant was the outpouring of the Spirit for all who receive in faith. So they might say, well, someone might ask, so are we all supposed to be Pentecostal? Are we all supposed to be Pentecostals then? Because that's basically what he's saying here. If we believe it, we can receive it. God has great things for us, and if we believe him, we will receive them. And that's... that's Whatever you want, whatever you need. You need a family member saved. You want a family member to come to know Jesus. That is a blessing God has promised. That is a blessing God has promised. If you, if you desire the infilling of the Holy Spirit with, this, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and you want that and you truly seek it, God will give to you. God will give it to you. But whatever you seek, God's promise is if it's in his will, he will give it. Peter's sermon of the day of Pentecost also shows us that there is, a, there is never any disparity between the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word. When Peter was filled with the Spirit of God in the midst of miraculous signs and wonders as he had never experienced before, what did he do? He said, let's open our Bibles and go to the book of Joel. He had a Bible study. <laughs> let's look at the book of Joel. This is a fulfillment of the book of Joel. And he begins to preach, right? One that both taught the 120, the 120 disciples the better understood their experience according to the scriptures and called the lost to salvation. That's true revival. You want to know what true revival is? That was true revival. The Holy Spirit came down and signs and wonders happened. And this was followed by the preaching of the word and others became, came saved. That's why they turned the world upside down. Not because they planned it. God did it. We also notice that Peter's application was exactly the same as the application made by the prophet Joel. Repent, Joel said. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. That's in Joel 2, 12 and 13. Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 38. You see, so the messages were very similar. They were almost exact. Repent. That's the call of the pastor. That's the call of the preacher. That's the call of the Sunday school teacher to tell, to understand, tell people to understand they need to repent. 
for sin. If you want true revival, that's what happens. There is a move of God. But at first, at first, let's look at the book of Acts. Let's look at that for a moment. I won't keep us much longer, but let's look at this for a moment. There was 500, above 500 people who were seeking God. The 120 were seeking God. There was a revival going on in their self. <clears throat> Excuse me, in their hearts and in their selves. God poured upon them His Spirit. They didn't say, everyone come up here and come and get it. The crowds gathered. What's going on? And then there was, they went out of the upper room. In other words, the church. We go out of the church and we bring it to people. Peter, prayed, Peter preached the sermon. What did he say? Repent and many were saved. And it says in the scripture that above 3,000 were added that day. That's revival. That's revival. In the scripture, he says, And so my maidservants and my men and my, my men servants and maidservants. In the latter time, all the servants of the Lord will be filled with the Spirit in this unique and powerful way. Under the new covenant, every believer can receive the full message of the Spirit and be used in a special and wonderful way. Every person can be. You can be. I can be. Used by God in a very special way. We can be. Sometimes the common person, the common church goer, simply wants to build, wants a building to worship in, a nice service, and it isn't too offensive, okay, and a good sermon, after that he thinks, I'll leave, leave, leave me alone, that isn't, that isn't New Covenant Christianity. Leave me alone, I just want to have, sing some nice songs, I want to feel good in my seat. It's not New Covenant Christianity. New Covenant Christianity is much better than that, much different than that, much better than that. Some people have taken this idea and run too far with it, saying, therefore, we don't need ministers or clergy. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So this is where a lot, this is, this is the spectrum here, okay? Some people say, I want to feel good. I don't want to have any conviction. I don't want to have any, I don't want to be called to repent. I don't, but some people say, well, I don't need, I have everybody else. It's just, it's, it's all the priesthood of believers. We don't need clergy. We don't need people to teach. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, so there is no room for officers or offices of any kind in the church. This ignores the clear teaching of Scripture, which says that the work of the ministry belongs to the people of God, but the work of equipping the saints belongs to God-appointed officers and ministers. Right? God-appointed officers and ministers. We all are appointed to work with God. We're all appointed. If you're a born-again believer, you have a reason to be here. There is a purpose for you. There is a reason God has you here. There's a reason God has you breathing right now. And that purpose, we have to figure out what it is. Amen. So that's my assignment for you this week. 
figure out what it is. Figure out what your purpose is. How do you figure that out? Well, you pray. You ask God to bless you. You ask God to minister to you. You ask God to show you your purpose and allow him to lead you in that way of purpose. That's important. Amen? It's important. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Pray that you'd bless us and minister to us. Give us strength and uplift us. Help us to always look to you for our purpose, for our meaning. Help us not to be puffed up in you, but to be humble. Lord, we pray you'd minister to us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.